welcome to Geek Space Nine, the Tuscan Shed Media Network podcast where we discover and or rediscover the classic Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. With me, as always, is Sarah Becker. How are you, Sarah? Not too bad. Had a margarita earlier, so I'm a little sleepy, but that's okay. <laughs> Very happy to be here. <laughs> that is a win. I love it. Yes, and with me as well is Peter Dancy. How are you, Peter? I'm pretty good. I'm eating a, I'm eating a Snickers bar, so I am very content over here. Yes. <laughs> Leftover Halloween candy for the win. Basically. Definitely, definitely. And I am uh, Ben Haworth, and I believe this will be our only, because Sarah's going to be traveling to lovely Scotland. Yay! Uh, I believe this will be our... Yay! This will be recorded pre trump's america this will be recorded pre election say such things yeah someone uh, said that to me yesterday they were like we they're like we officially decide our president in a week and i was like please shut up just shut up that was a tumblr post today accompanied with a gif of a bunch of people just going like yes i I saw that too like like the second after she told me and i was just like uh this is uncomfortable now i'm gonna go to sleep yes i've been uh consoling myself from a very (laughs) <laughs> very funny tumblr called uh white people mourning romney uh, it's just a collection of white people <laughs> who are very sad after the election in 2012 <laughs> i need to look this up it's it's a blast There's, my favorite is one with like these wisconsin people with the cheddar cheese heads that say like romney and his two kids are like mm. oh <laughs> my god <laughs> so we'll get away from politics and get into classic movies because Hooray! This week seem to be sort of uh, inspired by classic movies. Uh, first up is Profit and Loss, which would be season two, episode eighteen. Season two, episode eighteen. Thank you, Sarah. Which is Profit and Loss? Close to the end. Which is clearly a Casablanca homage. Uh, we have in the Ilsa role the Cardassian Natima, who shows up in a damaged ship to DS Nine with two Cardassian students. When they pass by Quark's bar, we learned that he and Atima had a, shall we say, intense relationship that ended poorly. When O'Brien discovers the ship was damaged by Cardassian weapons, Natima reveals her students are political dissidents who are trying to reform the Cardassian Empire. While Quark is trying to woo back Natima, Garrick spots the Cardassians and off-screen reports them to the High Command. Garrick warns Quark not to get involved and tells Sisko that the Cardassians want the students at any cost. Quark bargains with the students to give them a cloaking device if Natima agrees to stay with Quark. Natima continues to deny her feelings for Quark, but after non-fatally shooting him, admits she still loves him. Odo arrests Natima and says that the Bajorans have uh, have agreed to exchange the students for political prisoners. However, Garrick is visited by an old commander, Torin, who tells Garrick if he kills the students, he can return home and leave his exile. Quark helps the trio escape, but Garrick catches them. It is then that Torin comes back and reveals he just used Garrick to get to the prisoners. However, Garrick sabotages the gun he gives to Torin and kills him, then tells the dissidents to escape. Quark begs Natima to stay with him, but she says the possible bright future of Cardassia is more important. The group leave, and when Quark asks why Garrick did what he did, he said the same reason Quark did what he did. For love. So what do we think of Profit and Loss? I enjoyed well, first this episode. Of all, oh, so go ahead. Go no, go ahead, Peter. No, I, I, I was just gonna start I was just gonna really say, like, at least for now, like I enjoyed this episode merely because 
I am still confused on where the hell Garrick stands. <laughs> because it's like yeah. because it's like he seemed at first like he was like, Okay, yes, you know, I'm gonna kill him because I want back because I want back onto Cardassia, but then he shoots his form his former like 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 his former mentee apprentice whatever, like and and, and, on, and honestly when that happened I like I I like I sat up in my seat I was like damn he like just vaporized his ass, um, <laughs> and and then and and then and then he like all of a sudden like switches gears so quickly he's like well, what are you waiting for get on the ship escape and it's like. I don't know where you stand now. Like I thought, like I thought we were getting an idea over the course of this episode, and now I'm like, I'm now I'm back at square one, or rather, at the very least, square two. Maybe he's sort of like a. I I, I keep coming back to Gaius Baltar for some reason, but like sort of a Gaius character in that he seems to do whatever is best for him at the moment, and then once the situation changes to where it's no longer advantageous for him, he'll flip to the other side. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I could definitely see him like that. And again, to the Casablanca thing, he reminds me a lot of Captain Renault. We don't, again, also don't know what side he's really on. This is true. Mm. The entire episode. He's on his own course. side. At yeah, the end, yes, at so. his own side, but also Rick's as well, you know, which is mm. sort of the nice, uh, similar ending to this. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this episode. I liked that it was a, a subtle Casablanca, or maybe not subtle Casablanca remake. And I also just like interspecies romances that are somewhat interesting. They're usually human interspecies, but I think it's fun to have a Cardassian and a Ferengi, which I think is a really neat uh, sort of duo. And that it wasn't right. sort of fake, or, or, or they truly loved and seemed to be extremely sexually attracted to each other, which I oh my also God, found yes. really fascinating. Uh, well, Ben's Ben might slay me for this, but I've uh, uh, I've never actually seen Casablanca. Oh, that's so funny. I I may have felt differently about this episode had I seen had I you know gone into it with oh this is a you know Casablanca homage this is great, but uh, I didn't really like this episode mostly because I didn't appreciate Quark's treatment of mm. um oh, what's her name. Natima. Natima. Natima, his Cardassian lover. Now, it is established later that she does still love him. She's always still loved him, whatever. But he is being so manipulative and forceful with yeah. her throughout this yeah. entire episode of you can't leave and I don't really care what you think. Like, it, let, yes, I'll go with you. But he, even though she's quote unquote lying when she says, I don't love you, I don't want to be with you. The point is she told him to back off and he didn't. And it made me really uncomfortable. Yeah, I, 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 that's, that's fair. Totally understand I think that. it's fair. If, if <laughs> I think that's sorry, go on. No, she's gonna say like it, it very much fell into the trap of of, of like this re of this recurring thing, this recurring thing where it's like where we are shown that like we are shown that if the guy just asks like that one final time, the girl will say yes, and it's like life doesn't work like that. Exactly, yeah, it feeds into that thing. Concept. Yeah, it feeds into that thing where it's like, oh well, if a girl pretends to be mean and she doesn't like you, that means she actually really does like you, which encourages young boys to keep pursuing the girl even if she gives them the cold shoulder. Right. No, that's wrong. We need to stop perpetuating that stereotype. Very much. Mm. And again, I realize this is you know early nineties, and, and you could also argue that it's also that he's a Ferengi. 
who aren't mm. very respectful. Yes. This, <laughs> yes. this is also very true. That is very true, and I, but did I do consider agree that, maybe that the, as the well. Episode, but you're also right that maybe the episode could have done better at shaming him, where it's more sort of humorous, the way he's like, yeah, going after a lot. I think the 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 way that the episode sort of portrays it, versus mm-hmm. it could have been viewed as more pathetic, or he could have been more. Maybe her loving him would be because more of a sympathetic act at some point. So you're right that it was sort of like a. It wasn't until she sort of shot him, and had like some agency that she was like, "No, I love you." So I can understand where like your your frustration in that comes from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That being said, that was really my only issue with this episode. It was a big issue because it kept happening. Right, right. Um, but it was still, you know, kind of an interesting story. And again, I was really interested in the Garrick subplot of, you know, plain, simple Garrick doesn't seem to be quite so plain and simple anymore. Nope. <laughs> Where's he going with this? Yes, I really loved this sequence with him and Cork in the tailor shop where they're having a very, yes. very, very... Uh, Coded. on the surface level discussion about clothes mm-hmm. he's talking about how like if this dress gets ripped then no one will want it anymore and it, it has to be thrown out with all the rest even though it had nothing to do with it right. it's all this like very interesting subtle mm-hmm. stuff where he's saying like basically just let the two students go and maybe you can save Natima but don't get involved because you don't want to get friends may crap. go out of fashion <laughs> friends go right? out of fashion oh, gosh. I yeah. would say it, yeah, that was, that was a great scene. for some great uh, subtle metaphors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I, I think maybe in the next two or three episodes, I believe that we have more Garrick coming up just based on his IMDb. So I imagine we're finally going to get some answers soon, but maybe we'll just get to the end of the series and never find out. But uh, just as confused. I don't know. I, uh, I I feel like, I mean, I keep, you know, being told by people that, you know, everything changes once you get to season three. Same. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, you know, the Dominion becomes more of a thing. I almost feel like this is, you know, purely hypothetical, but I almost feel like Garrick might be aligned with the Dominion somehow. Or if he isn't now, he may end up being so. Totally. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, I, I have to agree with Sarah with, with with having people telling me like, wait until season three because 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 um because uh before before we recorded our last episode, my friend my friend Steve, he was like, so what episode on season two are y'all on? Are you on season three? Because when you get there, that's when I want to start watching it with you. Whenever you're over here and you happen to just pull up an episode on Netflix, and I was like, not there yet. We're like halfway through. Give us a minute. It's like get there now. I want to watch this with you. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a lot. I was talking to a guy at a podcast festival the other day, and he's like, "Why Deep Space Nine? It's like so bad for the first part." But I don't think it's that bad. I don't get. No, I've, I've been enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't. Whether everyone say, with everyone saying that like it ramps up, with, ramps up with season three. I'm pretty sure we'll look back on seasons one and two. And we'll be like, okay, yeah, they're like in comparison, they were mediocre, but we haven't reached that point yet. So you know. Yeah. It just makes me really, really excited to get to that point because if we're enjoying the first two seasons so much, then how incredible are the, is the rest of it going to be? Exactly. Yeah, I know. People hyped it up. Every episode, we're going to be like, ah! <laughs> we're, we're, we're all going to have 45 minutes of screaming. We're, gonna have, yes. we're all going to have that aha moment. We're, like, we're just going to text each other and be like, hey! Yes! <laughs> well, jokingly, both. Are you here yet? And uh, Deep Space Nine grew a tradition which is known as growing the beard, which is that. 
whenever a main character grows a beard in the show, it gets better. Does that TNG got better once Riker grew a beard? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cisco grows the beard and shaves his head. That's when the show becomes its best point. So it's uh, it's now a common phrase for when a show goes from like okay to great. So we got to get to the growing the beard section of DS9, from what I understand. I want to see Cisco with a beard. Yeah, and then it's gonna be weird because I've seen him for so long, and that he's gonna look yeah, like that for the shaven. rest of the show. Yeah, 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 he's he's basically gonna flip which side, flip which hemisphere of, <laughs> of his head. He has <laughs> yeah, hair on from around. from northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere, and it's like uh, I was like, am I am I ready for this? I don't know. Yeah. And then Worf is in the show for a lot. We know that. Oh, that's coming true. Up. Yeah. Right. It's like, there's gonna be a lot of spoiler alert. Shit ahead. Yeah. In case y'all didn't know. <laughs> I imagine most people know certain things. It's like certain things about the show have been spoiled for. Yeah, I've I've already started, you know? uh, read ahead and spoiled myself on a few plot points of one particular character. Oof. Um, yeah, I think so I know, I know what you're talking some about. things that are coming, but. <laughs> And I, yeah. I don't know the context for these things, so I'm excited to see how they unfold. This is exactly. why you don't delve into memory alpha. I know, <laughs> I know. I couldn't help it. I was weak. Well, it's easy to do, man. Like you just, I just looked at the cast like uh, on Wikipedia, like main characters, and that spoiled right. one thing. And I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like it's so easy. It's it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get back to season two yes. for the future. What did you guys think of? Uh, Natima's character, just in general. I liked her dedication to her, to her cause. I I liked how I liked how, even after she like professed her continuing her, her continuing love for Quark, she was like, "Yes, I like yes, I feel this way about you, but I have, I am so dedicated to what I am trying to do to make, to, to make, the world for my to make my world for my people better for future generations that." This is a sacrifice that I, I that I know I have to I have to and am willing to make, and and I yeah. I, re, I really like that about her that, that that even with what she personally wanted she was like I gotta give it up because because greener because like legitimately greener pastures on the other side that I'm working towards. Yes. Right, and you get that nice line from Quark where it's like, so we can be together when Cardassia is a free democracy? <laughs> like, you know, he, he understands how almost impossible that is, but understands that she's working for a better future. Right. Above him, which again, the, the very nice Casablanca thing. To go back to Casablanca real quick, the one thing I would definitely agree with Sarah that it bothers me is that in Casablanca, they make a very nice reason for why they broke up. Uh, it is a woman's fault, but she's not literally a jerk. She has to sort of leave him for, again, noble reasons, but can't sort of explain herself. And I really hated that Cork like, just screwed her out of some money. You know, yeah. It's just the classic right. Ferengi thing, you know? Mm. Like it was such a... It was such a I, I, I don't... I mean, stealing and cheating someone out of money, yes, that is bad. Don't do it, folks. But in the grand scheme of things, I thought it was going to be something bigger, something way more dramatic. And I was like, eh, kind of a letdown. Just a spidge. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And and I agree that it, it probably the episode could have benefited more from Quark sort of suffering more for yeah. his issues yes. versus taking sort of a more comedic approach. There was a pretty great moment between uh, Quark and Odo in this episode when Quark was trying to get Odo's help with, you know, releasing the three Cardassians and... Uh, uh, I, I, Oda, Quark is just really grateful because Odo agrees to help and he like hugs him <laughs> and Odo is just like let go 
<laughs> I really love that moment. I don't know why. Just I like the you know, quoto things. Quoto. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not the actual pairing name, but I like not it. even it like be. in a romantic sense. I like their uh, their bromance or you know love hate relationship. Frenemies. <laughs> The yeah, frenemy relationship. Frenemies, that's what it is. Frenemies to life. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else to say about profit and loss? No, I'm good. No. Awesome. Right. Well, next up is Blood Oath, which, as I mentioned last week, features a very interesting twist of having three Klingons reprise the role from the original actors, yeah. original characters from the original series. Uh, and so we decided we'd watch these various episodes and just give a brief summary and uh, what we sort of viewed the Klingons as in the original episode. So first up would be Sarah. You watched Errand of Mercy, which had Kor, I believe. Yes. And uh, yes. that would be our actual first. Kor was my Klingon for the week. Yes, it is the first ever Klingon episode in Star Trek. So. Oh, is it really? It is. It is. Oh. So we'll introduce them. So tell us about Errand of Mercy and Kor. Okay, well, um, Kirk and Spock beam down to the planet of Organia, which is a non-aligned planet near the Klingon border, and uh, their goal is to keep the Klingons from annexing it or, you know, assimilating it into Klingon territory. Um, but when they get down there, the Organians don't really seem interested in their help. I mean, at the basically, they don't want any sort of war to happen they're very sort of you know switzerland about the whole thing just you know peace is the important thing and as long as no one's getting hurt we don't really care what's happening um and so the klingons come and you know there's obviously so much tension and testosterone between kirk and the leader of this group of klingons who is named core and um they go through the episode and various you know shenanigans and conflicts ensue but by the end of the episode it is revealed that the organians have have some sort of special power to well they have some kind of like esp or mental power to just sort of create illusions and keep any sort of conflict from happening at all (laughs) and so at the end at the end of the episode the federation and the klingons are prevented from fighting by the Organians, and uh, they are forced to agree to the Organian Peace Treaty, and both sides protest, but the Organians say the rivals will get along far better in the future. All right, and what is is Kor's personality? uh, Well, in the original Star Trek original series episode, he is... You know, I guess sort of how one would imagine the stereotypical Klingon general to be. He's, you know, shrewd in the ways of battle and very stern. And, you know, if you don't agree to what we say, we will kill 1,000 of your people and so forth. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Yes, I heard one of those uh, as well. And uh, well, let's just say his personality changes a little bit. And I think it's, you know, roughly... 80 years or however mm-hmm. long it is between right. the original series episode and this Deep Space Nine episode where Kor <laughs> uh, uh, was my favorite of the three Klingons in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to his personality uh, when we talk about the Deep Space Nine episode itself. 
Indeed. And uh, Peter, you had Kolok, who was in the episode Trouble, Trouble with, with Tribbles, Tribbles, one of the most famous episodes. Yeah, Trouble with Tribbles from uh, the original series, uh, season two. Uh, yeah, yes, exactly. Season two, episode uh, thirteen of, of of the of the original series. It's a f- honestly, it's it's like it's not like doom and gloom or anything. It's a, it's a fu- it's a fun little episode because I love that episode. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's fun to watch. Um, basically, um. U.S. USS Enterprise on 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 route, on route to a space station uh, K seven um, uh, to to assist, to assist with this important to assist with this with this important um, assignment, but they but they but they but they really don't know what's going on until uh, until Spock and Kirk beam, beam beam over to the space station, where they where they first where they where they first meet the station manager Lori, but then but but then but then they immediately meet um, the, a Federation undersecretary named Nils Barris, um, who was who was in, who was in charge of who was in charge of the, of the the development project of this of this like super special grain that he wants to keep out of that that he is very concerned throughout the entire episode he wants to keep out of anyone's hands because he doesn't know what bad things it's might the, happen and blah it's blah like blah like that family guy joke where he's like here's my uh priceless artifact and yes here's my hemophiliac baby and here's yes. my like of oh, nothing happens yeah exactly exactly Sorry, <laughs> you wanna buy a sundial <laughs> <laughs> and so and, and so and so Kirk sets up guards around. Uh, Kirk sets up guards around, around um, the like the bin, the the room where the grain is being held. Soon after they get there, though, some Klingons show up, and with them is of course Koloff, our lovely our, our lovely general. Um, his personality very pompous, very uh, like ra- rather in your face, uh, cocky. Like he, he he's rather he's he's rather cocky and like and like and. A, 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 I, you could probably say like a little, a little condescending, a little condescending, where he's like, "We're not causing any trouble. We're just here. We can be here. Shut up." <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and and what and 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 um and, and apart and apart from him, while 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 they're on K seven, um, Ahura 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 comes to comes to. Not buy, but but be, but be offered, but be offered a gift of this cute little furry, fluffy ball called a tribble. No mm-hmm. idea what it is. <laughs> no idea what it does. It's just adorable and it's purring. And why would she not want it? And of course, why wouldn't why wouldn't every other why why wouldn't every other member of m- member on the USS Enterprise want one? Come to find out, though, they breed f- even faster than rabbits. They just these critters are born pregnant. Yes, oh my God, bones. <laughs> these critters are bo- bones, and then and then and then bone and then bone all then and then we also from bones get the incorrect use of bisexual. So <laughs> incorrect, but so oh funny. God. Your first hy- hermaphroditic is bisexual. Yeah, bisexual. Oh, sixties. Uh, yeah, when, he, when yeah, I, I was wondering. What, I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, when you when y'all when y'all first brought that up, I forgot that that I forgot that that was the line that he said and so when i got to it's just like uh that's that, that, <laughs> like that that's incorrect anyway come to find out um they go they go they go they go to where all the grain is being held in and in and inside this massive bin they find a metric fuck ton of tribbles just in there along with the fuck ton of grain but the but the weird thing is the tribbles like a good number of the tribbles are already dead and they don't know they don't exactly know why they're dead come to find out 
there's poison in the grain. So even though there are all these troubles surrounded by all of this grain, they they eat they eat it and it basically takes like two, three days and then they die. They're done. Who poisoned the grain though? Was not Koloth was not Koloth. It was actually it, it was it was actually it was actually Nil, uh, Nil, Nils 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 assistant Arn Darvin, who turns out to be a Klingon himself, trying to fuck shit up. Yeah, and he looks like a human because he's been like digitally very like, human. Yep, you know, genetically changed. Yeah, 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 gene- yeah genetic- genetically changed to to essentially to essentially to really play into the whole Russian spyness of. What yes. the, of what the of what the Klingons represented back in the Klingons equal Russians so hard in all these episodes so in every hardcore movies. like <laughs> like this the, the the analogy is the parallel is like you can't miss it yes <laughs> I think my favorite part of the triples episode is when they're in the bar and yes uh, oh, Koloth yeah. is like you know it's like we're not making trouble we're just here it's not our fault that captain kirk of the federation is a piece of shit and all this and check off what's to like go off on him and scotty's like, like no no dude, laddie dude, we can't do down, that and then he goes and insults the enterprise and scotty throws the first punch and he does it so calm he's like such a bro with it he just stands up and he walks over and he's like bam just punch right in the face and that's how like this big classic bars this bar fight scene starts and it's great but yeah, but, uh. but yeah. So they so so they arrest Arn. They they they, they arrest Arn. They ba- they they basically they they more or less shoo Koloth off, and they and, and they leave the station and go, and go, and go they leave the space station K seven and they go about their business. Very nice, very nice. And I will hint: this is not the only Deep Space Nine episode that references this episode. There is another one. And it's one of the most famous episodes in Deep Space Nine, and I'm so excited to get to it. Do you, what season? Do you have what season? It? Uh, season six. Oh my god, oh, we have a ways yeah. to go. Yeah. Ways yeah. to go. Damn. Uh, but I just hint at that. Um, so yes, I had Kang, and Kang would be from the season three episode Day of the Dove, season three episode seven. So in this episode, the Federation is classically is always responding to a distress call to what is supposed to be a human colony on a planet but arrive and finds no planet they seem to assume that it was destroyed by klingons who happen to show up right at the same time and the klingons claim that they were brought there um through a different distress signal from their own people so both of them uh kirk and kang start arguing kang believes that the federation is trying to start a war and he uh Starts again threatening to kill hundreds of people <laughs> if they don't <laughs> surrender in uh, classic Klingon fashion. Uh, they jump straight to the, the the hundreds. You know they don't start with dozens. You know they go they go right mm. to the top tier. Um, but things seem a little weird. Chekhov uh, seems to claim that he had a brother who was killed by Klingons, which he never heard of before. Uh, Spock starts acting irrationally. Starts seems to hate people. Um, McCoy wants to like murder all the Klingons and. Even when they get aboard the Enterprise, all their phases are replaced by swords. And we basically come to learn that the reason this is that there's basically an entity made of energy that feeds off of hatred. And it uh, can manipulate minds and it can manipulate matter uh, in order to sort of keep these people fighting forever. It basically is taking the Enterprise far out of space. It's going to keep these people alive forever and they're just going to fight 
forever and ever. And it's quite possible because Kang is really interesting. He's very uh, stately and formal. He's got this great voice. He's very commanding. He's very intelligent. I think he's probably one of the best original series sort of... Uh, I really put him up there with Khan and the Romulan uh, uh, person from um, Balance of Terror in terms of just oh, one of the yeah. best like strategic commanders who like is a real formidable foe they fight eventually kirk gets down to kang he convinces kang that uh so they're basically throwing down a sword that uh the entity is what's keeping them there and they're a real enemy and to fed it off they have to use the power of love and they of laugh course. and cheer and all the klingons and the humans get together and have a big old party and uh that causes the alien to leave uh, yeah, a pretty fun episode. Maybe a little bit cheesy, but uh, but Kang is uh, was an interesting fellow. Very uh, very similar to how he is in Deep Space Nine episode, where he's very stern and forward and brave, but also maybe a little bit foolishly sort of too Klingon in that way of trying to live up to so much honor and, and fate and war. So that would be our Klingons for this episode. So Yay. let's talk about the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Blood Oath. Uh, and like I said, this sort of follows in the Magnificent Seven sort of samurai mode, Seven Samurai mode, where we're getting a band together. To Magnificent go on a... Seven Samurai. <laughs> Magnificent Seven Samurai mode. I mean, yeah. Uh, the episode begins with Odo taking Kor, who we know, as Sarah mentioned, is more of a drunken Falstaffian type. Uh, in his, I love him. He was my favorite He's... Klingon. In I this want episode. to meet him. I, I want to hang out at a bar. He's like lovable. I mean, you wouldn't He's... want to fuck with him, but he's also like that drunk uncle. Yeah, who's like reliving yes. his glory day. Like I want he's to hang out with his him. Glory like, like with... you want to share a beer. <laughs> he's reliving his glory days with booze and hollow sweet recreations of famous Klingon battles. Odo brings him to the brig to sleep it off. When we meet Koloth, who chastises Kor for his behavior, and leaves him there. Odo is talking about this situation in Ops, which Dax overhears, and Dax becomes concerned, especially when she finds the third Klingon, Kang. The reason we she's concerned is that we learned that Curzon Dax signed a blood oath with the trio after a mysterious alien known only as the Albino murdered their families, including Dax's godson, the son of Kang. We learn a Klingon blood oath is actually a life debt and requires the complete death and eating the heart of the opponent. Since the blood oath was with Curzon and not Jadzia, Kang tells Dax that she doesn't technically have to fulfill her promise, but Jadzia, recognizing how important Curzon was for Klingon relations, feels it's her duty to go. Dax proves her worth against the other Klingons and requests a leave of absence to go fight with them. Sisko and Kira beg Dax not to go, but she leaves anyways. On the way, Dax learns that Kang was in contact with the albino, and the fortress that he's at is just a setup to give Kang a glorious death. She convinces Kang and the others to be more strategic and proves the albino merely intended to kill the trio before fighting even began. They sneak around, enter the main chambers, and begin the battle. Koloth is killed, and Kor promises that his death will be remembered. Kang and the albino fight, and Kang is mortally wounded. Dax gets the albino cornered, but is unable to kill him instead positioning him to be killed by Kang before he dies. Kor sings a mournful song for his fallen comrades while Dax returns to Deep Space Nine. When she returns to her post, she is greeted by the silent, disapproving looks of Kira and Sisko. So what do we think of Blood Oath? 
Man, every time there's a Dax-centric episode, yes. I think all three of us agree that she just gets cooler and cooler. Yes. She's the coolest so person. Yes. Oh my yes. god, so cool. She's like, oh yeah, I'm bros with like three Klingons. That's cool. No big deal. Yeah, it's, got a, it's got a blood debt that I gotta go kill a fool. Yeah, I'll be right heart. back. I'm not gonna die. It's fine. I don't but I have to deal it. with my sex change? Cool, whatever. They don't care. <laughs> yes, there is some good stuff in terms of like them having to deal with the fact she, they knew him as a man before and a female. And she has a very badass moment with Koloth where she uh, mm. shows how good she is with that uh, Klingon weapon, which name escapes me currently. Batleth. But, uh, Batleth, yes. Uh, yeah, Dax is the fucking coolest person. Continues to be a fave. Yes. Uh, want to be Jedzia it probably is uh, Tormund, <laughs> the, the, the shut-in nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes, what did uh, maybe maybe she'll be my Halloween costume next year? That'd be great. Yes. What do you all oh think God, of the, the returning that. Klingon performances? They were all good. It was great. Yeah, no, like there's uh, really not much as you can say like, besides elaboration. Like I said, uh, Core is still my favorite. I, one of the you know choice quotes for the episode was he calls Quark a devious little Hadiba, <laughs> whatever <laughs> the hell that means. <laughs> I just really appreciated it. Um, but Core uh, also seems to um, share the the least amount of his original personality uh, with uh, his first appearance. On the original series but at the same time like he well i don't know i don't really know where i was going with that he, he no seemed quite different it. but it was okay like it worked yeah i think you could say it's all right because each of three of them featured horrible loss which i think changes anyone you know mm-hmm. uh, i think the fact that all three of them lost their children right. uh, to the albino mm-hmm. and i think it's sort of interesting that each one and core just dealt with same. it by drinking yeah, Kang is still the same, like, military, let's do it. Kor drinks away his sorrows, and then Koloth, you know, is more just kind of grumpy. And there is tension on your face, Koloth. You ought to drink more. I'm looking at the quotes from the, <laughs> yes. from the yes. show. Still, 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 still a little, still a little pompous, especially when it, came, especially when it came to when it, when it came to Jadzia being like, "I'll fight you to, to to prove that I deserve to do this." And he was like, uh, uh, "Are you kidding me? You want to fight me? Sure, let's do it." So. <laughs> So, so he so he he still he still has that little bit like that little bit of of, of, of his old personality in him. Yeah, I, I thought this episode was pretty pretty solid. I didn't love it as much as I was hoping it would from like sort of the reading about it, but uh, I still very much enjoyed it, and particularly for those character moments, which I did really enjoy. I think three Klingons played off of each other really well, and it's very interesting that they were three Klingons who never were on screen together before this, you know? Right. Uh, they mm-hmm. just happen to be various different episodes. Uh, so I think it's very interesting that they sort of brought back that same style. It's interesting because they feel like 60s actors. I don't know how to describe it, but their voices feel very 60s, too. Which is a weird yes. thing to say, but th- there's just something about their acting reminds me of the 60s, and it's sort mm-hmm. of uh, fun-loving And actually, style. uh, Fun fact: um, the the actor who played, I believe it was Koloth, um, Michael and Sarah, uh, is a Syrian actor. Or he was Syrian, I believe. He passed away a few years ago. Um, I believe that's Kang. I, you're thinking of? Is it Kang? My bad. Yes. My bad. Get the yes. The person who plays Koloth so also plays. It's a Klingon afternoon. 
Yes, the guy who played Colossus played the uh, sort of devious Q-like character in Squire of Goloths. Uh, so he was sort of a a regular Star Trek nemesis actor. Uh, he just mm-hmm. would show up and be a dick. <laughs> he's a very <laughs> lovable dick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it was a very interesting idea to sort of take these back, but also focus on Jadzia and again doing sort of a trill thing of what does it mean when your former host made a promise to somebody that do you have to keep up that promise? I think it's a very interesting concept. And I like that the Klingons were straight up like, you don't have to come. You know, I like that all of it came from her. Uh, It wasn't like them being like, yeah, you got to come with us. Like, what is your problem? It it all comes from like, no, it's fine. You don't, you don't have to come with us. Like, and we, except they all happened to meet up on deep space nine to deal with this. Yeah. It's a little bit coincidental. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because it's, it's a little like, bit Star Trek logic, Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because I mean, because it's like, like, I did, I did, I did. They just, did they just know that 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 a Dax was on Deep Space Nine, and so they were showing up to like look for Curzon, just hadn't located him yet, or what? Like, I, I, I also found that interesting. It's like, how do, how are they going to explain this one besides the fact that Jazzy, that Jazzy used to be Curzon, and that's really all we're going with. Yeah. What did you think of the action of the episode? I didn't really care about it all that much. I mean, uh, like, I thought the character moments were fantastic and engaging and really interesting. But yeah. in terms of plot and, and you know, when they, they finally got to the albino and this weird sort of temple thing, I just didn't really care. No, I agree. Yeah, it's a very famous uh, L.A. landmark that they film at like a million times. There's a great oh, yeah? video called uh, L.A. Plays Itself about all the... Uh, various areas in los angeles that get, keep getting refilmed over and over again in various nice. movies and that one has been in a billion movies <laughs> it's been in I'll believe tons it. of stuff uh, sorry you're gonna say something peter no i was just saying i was just saying i'll believe it because that looks because that that space looked like looked like looks like somewhere that you could dress up and make it fit any like any an, yes. any number of genres that you need it for Yes. Was it the same space where they filmed that uh, next gen episode where Data and Picard are in like the sun and moon masks? Probably, actually. Mm-hmm. I didn't it's catch possible. that. It reminded yeah, me of that possible. space. You're probably right. Yeah, I think that was my issue with the episodes that I found the villain and the action pretty pretty dull, which I think is sort of mm-hmm. important, I think, for a, 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 a Seven Samurai esque uh, remake episode. Um, but I like the actors enough, and I understand that they're sixty-year-old actors, and you can only do so much on a cheap budget. But it just felt like too cheap to me at certain points. Yeah, uh, it just felt like let's go shoot something in someone's backyard, which it literally was, you know. Um, mm. But the character moments at least kept it forward. I just hope there's a little bit more. I just wonder how much they are going to follow up on if Dax is forever changed by this experience. And I also felt like yeah. they kind of cheated out with the whole like. Is she gonna kill or not? It was sort of a classic mm-hmm. Batman thing where it's like they don't. And really they make it a huge. They make it a huge deal where she has that whole conversation with Kara of like, yeah. so what's it like to kill a person? It was so and unsubtle, Dex. Like, well, so why? unsubtle. <laughs> the most unsubtle thing I've ever heard. Is it weird yes. to kill people? Just like why are you? It's not even like this? at the bar. It's like at work. Like, <laughs> Dex is not subtle right now. But yeah, I think if I absolutely, I mean, obviously one would prefer a story to have great character moments and a good plot, but if I had to pick one or the other, I 
prefer character moments and character development and things like that. So at least this episode had that going for it. Do you think that uh, Jadzia will be changed by this or, or the opinion of her will be changed from other people? I mean, part of me wants to say yes, but at the same time, um, for the most part, since... I mean, there doesn't always seem to be too much carryover from episode to episode about things yeah, that happen have, to the characters. Yeah, we haven't quite seen that yet. So I don't, I don't really know. Maybe it will, but I don't think it's something that we will see immediately. And also, she right. didn't actually kill the albino. Right. One of the other right. Klingons did. Yes. So maybe Which... maybe she won't have been changed because she didn't actually do the thing. Yes. But maybe her, the, the perception of her changes for Cisco and right. Kira. You know? Yeah, because, because, because she was still so gung-ho on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This did an interesting thing where it's apparently Curzon was one of the most important people involved with the Klingon peace agreements. Yeah. It's sort of fascinating that uh, mm-hmm. apparently... Curzon Dax was like one of the, like that's an interesting thing we haven't brought up until now. That yeah, was like one of the most important parts of that, and it was all because he was like, "I'm gonna walk out on you having a sp- on you making a speech. I'm just gonna get up and leave, just to make you angry." <laughs> because if and it I, worked. Because if I don't do that, then this shit ain't gonna fly. Mm. <laughs> well, is there anything else to say for uh, Blood Oath? I covered everything. Yeah, not for me. All right. Well, next up we have another two-parter, which will be the Maquis. I'm really excited for this. Yes, anyone who watches Star Trek Voyager knows that the Maquis is very important to the pilot in many episodes in that show. So it should be an interesting one. So until next time when we talk about episode 20 and 21, the Maquis. This has been Star Trek Geek Space Nine. As always, I want to thank uh, Sarah and Peter for joining me on this lovely, lovely journey. Our theme song is by Captain Meatshield. You can check him out on Twitter at CPTN underscore Meatshield. We are a part of the Tuscan Shed Media Network. You can find more of our shows at TuscanShed.com. If you like the show, like, subscribe, rate, and review it any way that you can. It does help us find new listeners. Until next time, this is the crew of Geek Space 9 signing off. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.